ever gave us and show you what not to do in the new year. So this is kind of a what not to do part of the message. And then we're going to give you some practical things to hopefully balance out what we should do in the new year. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Father, would you work now in these minutes as we look at this parable and then we talk about some practical things for this year. And I pray that you would help us to commit in our hearts to take everything that you've given us, whether it's our, our time this year, whether it's uh, the energy we have, whether it's our resources, whatever it would be, I pray that you would help us not to be presumptuous with these things, but to give them to you and to allow you them to be used for your glory and your kingdom. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's look at this rich fool's idea of what he was going to do with his new year and with his coming up uh, time period. And then we're going to look at the reverse side of this of what we ought to do. So we see, first of all, that he had a presumptuous plan. If you notice anything about this guy, it was all about him. And if you even look at all of the, the pronouns here in the story, he thought within himself. And then there's I, I, my, I, I, my. And just keep following it down. It's all about him. And so he says, this will I do. I'm going to select what's best for me. And that's what we try to do. I'm going to select what's best for me. Now, the only problem with us selecting what's best for us is we don't have all the information. Only God has the information. And when we try to make all the selections, we always mess up. When we say, I'm going to select what's best for me, it doesn't really matter what the Creator has to say about it. You know, it's the height of pride. It's the height of presumption to live life without seeking God's direction and His approval. And if we get one day where we wake up and say, you know, I'm just going to do what I want to do today. That's presumption. Because every day has been given to us as a gift by God. And if every day is a gift, we're supposed to go to the giver of the gift and say, God, what do you want me to do today? So if that's true for a day, certainly it's true for a, a week and a month and a new year. And so he had a presumptuous plan. But then we see something else about this guy. He had a profitless path. He was going to take everything that God had enabled him to raise on his farm. He was going to take everything that God had enabled him to grow and to stack in his barns. And he was going to squander his God-given opportunities. <laughs> he was going to take all of this extra and assume that it was for himself. 
Now, that's a big problem, especially in the United States, when we assume that anything extra just belongs to us. Instead of realizing that all of it is a gift from God in the first place. And so we have to be careful that we don't assume that that extra is ours. The extra really is part of what God has given us. Sometimes God allows trials in our lives to prove us. And we know that to be true, right? And we kind of see it that way. Like, boy, God's really trying to work in this family right now. Or God's really trying to prove this family. Or they're really going through a test right now. Do you know another thing that God uses to prove us? Prosperity. God sees what we're going to do with the extra. And when prosperity comes our way, God gets to see who we really are and what we're really going to do. I love what it says in Scripture about Abraham. Think back to that time when God was going to tell Abraham, hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he didn't know if he should tell Abraham. And it said that God trusted Abraham. Isn't that amazing? We're, we're supposed to be the other way around where we trust God. God trusted Abraham because he knew what he was going to do. But this rich fool had a profitless path. <laughs> and there are really people in this area, people in this county, who have spiritual needs that we as a church body are gifted to meet. And yet, some of us just want to hide God's goodness in the barn. We want to hide God's gifts and abilities in the barn. What you do when you're prosperous is the greatest indicator of what you would do if you were more prosperous. <laughs> Have you ever heard the people say, boy, if I just won the lottery, right? It used to be Ed McMahon. Is Ed McMahon still alive? If Ed McMahon would knock on my door and give me one of those big checks from Publishers Clearinghouse, $10 million check, if old Ed would stop by, then it would change my whole life and I would give. Right? But God shows us time and again that if you're faithful in the least, you'd be faithful in the much. And if we won't be faithful with God, what God's given us now, we could never assume that we'll be faithful with what he gives us more. And so this is a profitless path that this guy was taking. But we keep going in his story and we see another thing, a pathetic pretense. A pathetic pretense. He's going to tear down perfectly good barns to build bigger barns so that everybody who drives by or walks by will say, wow, those are big barns. And so there's this pretense that he's going to say, I'm going to show other people how big I am and how successful I am. You know, success, as defined by God, it's not about what you do. It's all about who you are on the inside. God looks at the heart. And that's what God looked down in this man. And you've probably heard this before. You are what you are when no one else is looking. And I'm sure that this rich fool put up a pretense that he was a generous man. But you know, his heart said that he was as selfish as they came. And we're able at times to put up a pretense that we care about godliness or we care about having a devotional life, but God knows our hearts and God knows the reality. 
And uh, just being able to throw in a little, yeah, I was reading my devotions today about such and such. God knows if we really are on that or not, right? Or if we just got into the, that mixed into the conversation just so we could make it seem like we have a devotional life. Isn't it crazy the links we go to to pretend? Uh, really, we as Christians and we as Americans go further to pretend that we are something than we do to actually do it. And it doesn't make any sense, right? God knows our heart in the first place, and he knows exactly what's going on. The fool, fourth thing about him is he paid a paramount price. He said, I'm going to satisfy my soul with that which cannot satisfy. I was reading a quote by C.S. Lewis today, and I don't remember the exact quote. It's a great quote. He said, if there's nothing on this earth that can satisfy the human soul, it goes to show that this is not our final home. There's got to be something bigger. If there's nothing here that can satisfy us, then there's something beyond, there's something eternal, there's something heavenly that has to satisfy. But most of our lives, what do we do? We try to satisfy our souls with that which cannot satisfy. And sometimes it's a, a bigger, better this, or a bigger, better that, or a trip to here. If I could only have this toy, or if I could only have this tool, if I could only have this gizmo, if I could only meet him or her, or if I could meet him or if I could meet her, and we go to some people, I've, I've seriously talked to people, if I could just find the right guy. Well, how many times have you tried? Well, I've been married five times. Well, I don't think that this pursuit or this route's working for you. Right? It's not the thing that's going to satisfy your soul. But the rich fool said, hey, I have found what's going to satisfy my soul. Soul, take it easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry, right? Because you've got your barns full and everybody's seeing and they see how great you are and things are wonderful and life's easy. We find this in scripture. And this is amazing because most people don't believe this is true, but it is. The price for ignorance can be just as high as the price for self-will. This fool was self-willed. He said, I'm going to deliberately go against God. Do you know the people who are just ignorant, where they say, you know, I'm just not going to worry about eternity right now. I'm just not going to worry about following God right now. I've got plenty of time. That ignorance, the price of it is just as high as those who deliberately go against God. And the price for refusing God is the death of the soul. That's what Jesus brings out in this parable. And so this soul had an opportunity. This soul had an opportunity to either invest what God had given him or to waste what God had given him. So that I want to talk about, for just a few minutes here, about seven opportunities that we have to invest for this year. And it's seven opportunities that I believe God has given us in 2016 to invest in his glory, to invest in his return, to invest in what's most precious to him. Yeah, they're all very simple. They're very practical. And if you have some notes from before in your Bible, maybe you want to write them down. We're going to look at a few pieces of scripture as we go through this. The first thing 
is something that I think you're going to know exactly what it is before I even say it. Be in God's Word. Be in God's Word. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 15. I love what some of the Old Testament prophets and saints had to say about God's Word. They couldn't get enough of it. They didn't even have much of it. Some of them didn't have any of it, and yet they loved the Word of God. Jeremiah 15. I've skipped over it three times now. Jeremiah 15. There we go. Verse number 16. Look what Jeremiah said. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. It's so important that we are in God's word every day because that's where our rejoicing comes from. That's where our conviction comes from. That's where our heart mending comes from. That's where our instruction comes from. Everything that we need as a child of God, the information comes from God's word. Job talked about this. Go back a little bit in Job chapter 23. You think about Job, Job didn't have any piece of scripture. It's the oldest book written in the Bible. And Job, they believe Job was a contemporary of, of Abraham. Job 23, verse number 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I love that verse. What he said is, before I even think about human food, I think about soul food. I really need God's word in my life as the food every day. David said in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And we got to get in God's word. Now, there are so many ways that you can do this. Um, you could just, it's, it's, it's crazy as you could pick up an actual paper bow, a paper copy of the Word of God. I know this is rare these days. And you can actually open it up and you can read it. Right? There are so many spirit, scriptural reading plans available that it's, it's just unreal. Now you can, they say you could read one chapter of the New Testament every day and three chapters of the Old and you read through the Bible every year. That seems pretty easy, right? Or you could get onto uh, your smartphone and download the YouVersion app, and there are hundreds of Bible reading plans to choose from. Literally hundreds of them. And you just choose one. You can even have it read to you out loud. As you drive to work, or as you come back from work, or as you get ready in the morning, however you like to do it. The Word of God, though, if it doesn't go into our hearts, our hearts cannot possibly be right. Think about it that way. If we don't get the Word of God going into our life, we can't be cleansed. Think of what David said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto out of thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a law, it's a lamp, it's all of the things that we need. And so to be in the word of God is a huge practical step. I bet you already know what the next one's going to be. Got to be in prayer. 
We got to be in prayer. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And in Luke 11, Jesus taught them a model of how to pray. He said, when you pray, you say, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he went through this whole thing, not so that necessarily we repeat that prayer. It's not wrong to repeat the Lord's prayer. It's a great prayer to pray. But so that we would see how he prayed where he addressed God's dwelling place and he addressed God's glory and he addressed God's kingdom and he addressed God's will before ours. And so being in prayer is huge. And I know that there are, once again, a myriad of ways to pray. Um, Some people have a prayer closet, right? There's a, a movie that just came out that became the number one movie in America that was about prayer. And I said, what's the name of it? Somebody help me? I'm not thinking of it. War Room, right? It sounds like it's going to be this, you know, scary thing. It's about prayer. It's about having a prayer closet. And and the lady, uh, she has things taped all over in the closet. And people she's praying for. Uh, There are prayer lists. There are prayer books. Uh, I use a prayer app uh, that's called, uh, oh man, Prayer Prompter is the name of it. And it goes through all of the components of prayer that I want in my life. And I can even develop what I want them to be. I can add verses in and I can add people in and pray for specific things about certain people. And uh, people pray in a variety of ways. Here's what I encourage you to do. Find what works for you where you have a meaningful connection and relationship with God and do it. That's what's important. Because I've heard people say, well, if you don't have a prayer list, you don't have a prayer life. Well, for me, when I sit down and I start reading from a list, the weirdest thing happens. I fall asleep. Right? I fall asleep. So I have to pray walking so that I will actually stay awake. And I started doing it on my phone or on my iPad. And I've got my prayer prompter and I pray for all of you. I pray for the needs that I know about in your life and the ones I don't know about. And we've got to have some meaningful connection in a prayer life with with God every day. We pray without ceasing. You could pray as as you drive down the road. You could pray as you sit somewhere in your office. You can pray anywhere, anytime, but you got to pray. And if we don't get involved in a meaningful prayer life, then we are not taking stewardship over what God's given us. Really, we're living like the rich rich young fool we just read about. We're saying to God, God, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't need you. And we need him so much. And so we got to be in God's word. we got to be in prayer. Here's one we don't think about. This is the third one. Take time to listen. Take time to listen. I love what it says in Jeremiah 33.3. It's one of my favorite prayer promises. It says, call unto me and I will answer thee. Isn't that good? And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. When's the last time that you, yes, you read your Bible and yes, you had a time of prayer, but then you just went in a quiet place in your own heart and you said, God, What's the next thing you want me to do in this area of my life? And you just listen. Just sit there and listen. And say, God, what's the next thing you want me to do in this area of my life? In my role as a father, as a husband, as a wife, mother, grandmother, whatever it is. 
and just listen. And I believe sometimes we don't listen for that still, small voice of God's Spirit enough. We're looking for the big thing. Remember Elijah's out in the wilderness, and uh, there was a fire. It says, but God wasn't in the fire. There was a mighty wind. God wasn't in the mighty wind. And there was a still, small voice. And it was the voice of God encouraging him because he was at the lowest point of his life. He had just said to God, God, it's enough. I'm done. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And yet the still, small voice came, and as Elijah listened, he was encouraged to move forward. He was encouraged to become a mentor to Elisha. Listening to God's Spirit is big. Fourth one is this. And we got four to go. These are all practical things, okay? These are things you already know. Fourth one is be a steward of God's resources. This is where the rich young fool messed up. Because he took God's resources and claimed that they were his. And all of them really belonged to God. And when you think about what our resources are, you have to think of things like time. And the Bible says redeeming the time because the days are evil. You have to think of, of things like our spiritual gifts and abilities that can only be given by God. There are things that you can do because God has gifted you in an area, whether it's with a natural ability or a spiritual gift, that other people can't do. There are things that God has enabled you to communicate that other people can't communicate. And in those gifts and abilities, instead of setting them aside, instead of packing them in a box and putting them away, we need to be using those. Instead of taking the talent that the Master has given us and digging down in the dirt and hiding it, we need to bring out that light. Because, you know, another resource that God's given you, this is one we don't think about very often, God's given you a testimony. God has given you a light. And if you hide that light under a bushel, as the children's song says, then you're messing up. In fact, hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. Why are we supposed to do that? Because there's a stewardship. The stewardship is that God has given us some things that we're supposed to use for His glory. And then we think about the resources we have financially. The resources that we have that God has given us in helping others, in furthering His kingdom, in supporting missionaries, in being faithful to Him. Be a steward of God's resources. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. One of my favorite stewards to study in the Bible is Joseph. Old Testament Joseph. Right? He was a master at stewardship. He understood that none of it belonged to him, it belonged to Pharaoh. And yet... He managed it so skillfully and so successfully that Pharaoh continued to promote him. And as you use God's resources for his kingdom, for his glory, realizing that they're his resources, he'll promote you. He'll bless you. He will bring you to where you have more stewardship, more resources. But if you take God's resources and you say, they're mine, 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 I'm going to do what I want to do with them, God has no other choice but to demote you. 
God has no other choice but to set you on the shelf as a uh, on the shelf as a vessel because you're not doing what He's called you to do. So be a steward of God's resources. Next one is this. Look at Ephesians chapter four. I think this one's so important. Be a faithful part of the body. Be a faithful part of the body. There's a passage in Ephesians 4 that I believe discusses the church in just a masterful way here. Look what he says in Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supply us, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know, when you're not in your place in the body of Christ, the whole body suffers. When you aren't in your place, there's some muscle, there's some organ in the body of Christ that can't work. Right? Have you ever had a part of your body that just stopped working? They thought, boy, that's weird. Yesterday my arm went up. Now today it only goes this high. When something doesn't work on your body, it's noticeable. And you, you never really notice the parts of your body that do work. Right? You don't sit down on your bed at night and say, wow, guys, we made it to another day. Foot, you did great. Other foot, good on you. Way to go. And an Achilles tendon, you held up again. And a heart, you kept beating. Man, way to go. 83 beats a minute. Woo, so proud of you. We don't do that. Why? Because it works. But when it doesn't work, what do we do? Oh, you broken down body. How dare you mess up? Oh, why Achilles tendon? Why do you keep doing this to me? We get, we feel it, right? We feel the pain. We feel the pressures when it doesn't work. And in the body of Christ, when we do what we've been called to do and we're faithful to be in the place God's called us to be, the whole body works. The whole body grows. There's health in the body. But when we step out of place and we become unfaithful, it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts others. You have influence. There are people who should be here tonight who have influence. But they're wasting their influence. And when they do that, they're not just hurting themselves. They're not just hurting their own family. They're not just hurting their own children. They're hurting the whole body of Christ. And when we fail to come together as we should and meet together and pray together and unite together in the purposes God has called us to do, we hurt the whole body. And Ephesians 4 is so clear that every joint supplies something. Every joint is important. Every part of the body is important. The sixth thing is to be a witness. I believe that relational evangelism is the model that Jesus set forth. And Jesus, he just made friends with people, and then he pointed them toward salvation. 
And he modeled this with his disciples. And here's Levi, Matthew, who's a tax collector. The day that Jesus calls him and says, hey, follow me, he leaves his desk. And that night he invites all of his tax collector friends and all of his ruffian buddies who've stolen from people all over the kingdom to a party at his house. And Jesus shows up at the party. You think the Pharisees come into events like this and they say, how dare he eat with publicans and sinners? He should only eat with perfect people like us. You know, Jesus showed relational evangelism. And as he ascended, as he left into heaven, it says that he told his disciples and all his future disciples, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And we are witnesses simply by living his truth and speaking his truth. Speaking the truth in love, answering the questions people have, and going into the world with the gospel. And the way to go into the world with the gospel is to use the opportunities that God gives you every week where he allows your life to intersect with the life of someone else who needs Christ. And a lot of times we miss those opportunities because we're not being good stewards. I'm first on the list on this. It's really the pattern of the rich young fool when we take the intersections that God has geared for us. God has placed in our lives providentially where he said, you know what? This person needs Christ. I'm going to sit them down by so-and-so at the doctor's office. This person needs Christ. I'm going to allow them to get into a car accident with this guy. Right? And we take those intersections that God has providentially given us and we blow them off. And we don't even think of them the way he thinks of them because we've got barns to build. We've got things to do. We've got people to see. We've got that pretense to put on where people think we're something. And God's just saying, hey, I just want you to be a witness. I just want you to be real. I just want you to be authentic. I just want you to be a Christian 24-7. That would be a great start to being a witness. Now, most of us can't be a witness because we think we have to pick one hour a week to be a witness. Like, you know what? Thursday night at 7, let's go be a witness. And there's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of churches do that. And we have outreach opportunities where we go out in the community. And I think that's great. But don't let it be this thing where this one hour a week of activity now eases my conscience toward worldwide evangelism. And now, because I went out and handed out 17 tracts in a neighborhood, I don't have the responsibility to befriend my neighbor for Christ. I don't have the responsibility to tell anyone who I've formed a relationship with that I know Jesus is my Savior. And so being a witness really is relational. It begins with our relationship with Christ and extends to our relationship with others. But then the seventh one, and I hope you'll get this one, is to maintain a heart for God. Maintain a heart for God. Proverbs tells us that we should trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not to our own understanding. And to maintain a heart for God requires daily vigilance. Because if we're not vigilant, you know how many days it takes for your heart to get hard toward God? How about one? That's why every day you got to come back. You say, God, my heart's hard toward you. 
God, I don't desire prayer the way I should. God, when I read your word today, I, I wasn't really into it. I just kind of blew it off. I, yeah, I marked that I read the chapters, but I didn't really get anything. That heart for God is what pushes everything else. Look over to Proverbs 23. I think one of the most powerful phrases in all the scripture is when this proverb was written. And it wasn't a proverb necessarily between God and his children. It was a proverb between a father and a son. But I believe that it models the relationship that God wants us to have. Look at Proverbs 23, verse number 26. He said, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. You know what the author of this proverb wanted? He didn't want just lip service. He didn't want a kid who was just going to do his chores because he said he, because mom and dad told him to. He wanted a heart. He wanted a heart connection. Isn't it great with your kids or maybe with some people you have influence with where there's a real heart connection? And it, the heart connection is so powerful. Um, you've been in places before in your life where you had a real heart connection. And God is saying, I want that real heart connection with you every day. As you go forward in your life, I want to know that you care for me as I care for you. And so God wants us to give our hearts to him. So these are all practical. You know what they guard against? They guard against us being like the rich young fool. They guard against us taking weeks and months of our lives and basically taking them and throwing them away. Because we decided that we're going to live a certain way and do a certain thing and go a certain place. And we've got big plans for every area of our life except the most important one, which is following God. Now, what if you sat down tonight and said, you know what, God, I've had big plans for everything else. Maybe I should make some plans for you. Maybe I should make some plans for a spiritual walk. You know, people sit down and make one-year plans and five-year plans for their finances or for their marriage or for what they're going to do with their house or what they're going to do with their job. I think it's good to sit down and say, God, I'm going to have a plan to know you and to be like you and to follow you. Don't miss this one. This is the last important thing I'm going to say. No one has ever become an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ by accident. It's never happened. There's nobody ever in history who has ever all of a sudden become really close to God just by accident. It's always been done on purpose. There's always been a priority that says, God, I've got to have you in my life. I've got to walk with you. I've got to talk with you. I've got to be with you. And we've got to get to that place in our lives where we have to be with God every day or we just can't exist. We have to walk with God every day before we walk with anybody else. And we have to be in his word. You know, listen, I know that even on version, uh, it's got this thing now where your friends can be able to follow what you read that day. And it 
I don't know, I think it's, it's encouraging for some people to be able to do that. But we don't do our devotional life so that other people can see it. Now, we don't read a certain portion of Scripture so that we can post it on a wall somewhere. We have to follow God for ourselves. We have to follow God because we need Him in our lives. And so I would encourage you this year to choose a path and choose a plan. And maybe you've never really read the Bible through. Choose something easy. Uh, you know, you could take and read one proverb a day out of Proverbs, and you read the Proverbs through every month, just about. It's, it's easy stuff. You can take and read five Psalms a day and read through the Psalms in a month. You could take, as I said, and read one chapter of the New Testament every day and read through the whole New Testament this year. The book of John only has 21 chapters. It's a great way to finish your January, reading one chapter of John every day. Get in the Word of God and know it. I love it when people begin to read the Word of God, really, really read the Word of God in their lives for the first time. And they say things like, I never knew the Bible was this exciting. Right? You ever read Genesis for the first time? It has the most foundational things that... And it's the book of beginnings. You say, wow, I never knew that Abraham did this, or I never knew that Joseph had this happen. Get in the Word of God and read it. And when you get to Leviticus, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up at Leviticus, right? Keep going. Muddle your way through the leprosy section. Get into Numbers. There's some more stories in there. And I keep reading. You know, my favorite part of the Bible, I think, because I just love to read it again and again. It's from the book of Joshua through the book of Second Chronicles. I just love that Old Testament history section and reading just the, the people who lived and what their stories were and how God used them. And there's so many powerful things in the Scripture that you can use in your life. And the surveys now say, Pew Forum Research says, that only 9% of self-proclaimed Christians say that they use their religion or their Christianity as a basis for daily decisions. Isn't that a tragedy? You know why that is? Because we're not in the Word. If you're in the Word of God every day, the chance that you will use the Word of God for your daily decisions is a whole lot bigger than if you're not in the Word of God. You know why people make rich, young, fool decisions? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and don't do this, get out of my way, I'm going to do this. And so you're going to be happy once we do this, and once we get this, and once we go there, we're going to be happy. You know why that happens? Because people aren't in God's Word. They're not in prayer. And they may be in church, and they may be in Christian school, and they may be in Christian environments, but that doesn't mean that you have a walk with God. Some of the most backslidden people I've ever seen in my life were in Bible college with me. Just carnal, just out of this word, carnal, because we get hardened to truth. And then truth gets up and speaks like, ah, heard this all before, and we roll our eyes. We haven't heard it all before. You can read the Bible a hundred times and still come up with something fresh every day. But you've got to want to. You've got to have a hunger and a thirst for God. Let's stand and let's commit to God that we're going to live our lives for Him and not waste what He's given us. Father, thank You for this powerful 
parable that you told, Jesus, about this rich fool. And we read this and we see his mistakes, and yet sometimes we make them for ourselves. Where we have these plans of what we're going to do. We don't really come to you and say, God, what would you have me to do? We just kind of go make our plans. And so I pray that you would help us to step back, even tonight, and to take an inventory spiritually and to say, God, what would you have me to do when it comes to these practical areas of my life and following you? Thank you for each one who's here. I pray that you protect us as we go to our homes. We ask it in your name. Amen. God bless you, everybody.